Readers all over the world know Bell Hooks as an author, feminist, social activist, and teacher. Here in Kentucky, we know her as one of our own. And throughout her life, she never forgot those roots. She wanted people to know that genius came from Kentucky. Bell Hooks died in December 2021 in Berea, where she taught and founded the Bell Hooks Institute at Berea College. She was 69. I'm Joni Franklin. This hour, we'll reflect on Hooks' life and legacy. WFPL's Rick Hallett is joined by three of Hooks' colleagues, Kentucky Poet Laureate Crystal Wilkinson, Berea College Professor Dr. Chad Berry, and former Berea College Provost Dr. Linda Strong-Leak, now at Haverford College in Pennsylvania. They'll share how Hooks inspired them as scholars and as friends. Remembering Bell Hooks, this hour on 89.3 WFPL. Welcome to a conversation about the life and work of Bell Hooks, a Kentuckian with deep roots in the state who also had a great impact on the world. I'm Joni Franklin. Hooks was an author, social activist, cultural critic, academic, and teacher who explored, among other things, the intersection of sexism and racism in American society. She founded the Bell Hooks Institute at Berea College, where she was a distinguished professor in residence. She was a role model and mentor to many people, including our three guests. Crystal Wilkinson, Kentucky's Poet Laureate, is the award-winning author of Perfect Black, a collection of poems, and three works of fiction, The Birds of Opulence, Water Street, and Blackberries, Blackberries. Wilkinson is an associate professor of English, Appalachian Studies, and African and Africana Studies at the University of Kentucky. Dr. Chad Berry, Vice President for Alumni, Communications, and Philanthropy at Berea College. He's also on the faculty as Professor of Appalachian Studies and Professor of History. And Dr. Linda Strong-Leak, Provost, Professor of Africana Studies and Gender and Sexuality Studies at Haverford College in Pennsylvania. She's former Provost and Professor at Berea College. Throughout the show, we'll hear from Bell Hooks in her own voice and hear from listeners about what her writing means to them. Here's WFPL's Rick Hallett, who hosts the conversation. Let's start by uh, going briefly around the virtual table, and, I, and I'd like to uh, to have, uh, go by first names, if that's okay with everyone, and, and talk about the relationship each of you had with Bell Hooks. How did you meet her? Tell us about your working relationship and, and your friendship. And uh, Crystal Wilkinson, let's start with you. Well, I first, um, before Bell was a uh, became a friend. She, I was a, an uber fan. Um, I met her in 1994 at the Kentucky Women Writers Conference and was a burgeoning writer with uh, three children, single parent, wanting to write. And um, that was my first introduction to her. I'm not sure that she even remembered it years later when we became friends, but um, she, her talks that she did that weekend um, sort of started what we called a sister circle. And in that sister circle was Nikki Finney and Kelly Norman Ellis, a number of people who've been associated with uh, writing here in Kentucky, Black women's writing in particular, and it just changed our whole lives. Um, so when I came to Berea um, and started spending time with Belle and became her, her friend, um, it, it was a shift in our relationship, but nonetheless, she was still my teacher in many ways. She she didn't like me saying that when I would say that she was my mentor um, or my teacher. She would say, no, I'm your friend. <laughs> uh, Chad, what about you? What uh, when did you first meet Bell Hooks? I met Bell in uh, August of 2007. I was getting ready to lead the Appalachian seminar and tour at Berea College and the bus was already, it was about uh, 7 a.m. and I was getting there early before the other participants arrived and out through the Boone Tavern Hotel doors burst bell hooks and said, are you Chad Berry? I wanna go on your tour. And um, that was exactly the way Bell operated. You know, she wasn't going to uh, tell you first. And uh, and she, she told me, she says, now I may, I may hate this. So I've got a friend who's going to follow behind the bus as a chase vehicle, getaway vehicle in case I need to come home. And I was just flabbergasted. And I ran back to my office to get a copy of Bone Black. 
And I still remember on the tour, on that tour, uh, she would occasionally read passages on the microphone for all the participants. And she loved being the first person off the bus, every stop we made. And I remember at one particular place in West Virginia, I'd arranged for some young people to uh, meet us with their four wheelers because we were going to spend the afternoon up at a cabin that was inaccessible to vehicles. And so Belle was the first person, didn't know anything about what was about to happen. And this 15 year old kid looked at her and said, all right, come on, get on, hold on. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bell grabbed him around the waist and turned around and looked at me with huge eyes and didn't know what to say or do. But um, that was the beginning of a very long and productive professional and personal relationship. Uh, Linda, what about you? Had, uh, when did you first meet Bell Hooks? Yes. Yeah, so I met Bell when she came to Berea to do a talk about her book on um, Black men and masculinity. And um, she came back to my class after that um, presentation and talked to my students um, about um, father, about some of the difficulties of relationships with fathers. And I remember several of my students literally crying because they said when they you know, read her work, it was one of the first times that they could acknowledge that they actually hated their fathers. It was a powerful moment. Um, and from almost that moment on, Bill and I became close friends. Crystal, you wrote, uh, I believe, after her passing in an article for uh, The Atlantic that you said, I am a writer because of Bell Hooks. I am a feminist because of Bell Hooks. What, what was it about her that, that so inspired you? Well, you know, we had had I had read um, Ain't I a Woman? And so I came to the Kentucky Women Writers Conference. And I think at the time, for some reason, I thought Bell Hooks, the Bell Hooks was from New York. I don't think I even knew that she was from Kentucky. And so being from rural Kentucky and hearing more about her background and what I didn't say about that, that 1994 um, time was somehow we still don't know. Several of us talked about it. We ended up in Bell's hotel room. So we're all sort of sitting in the floor, like, you know, the great Bell Hooks is on the bed you know, sort of holding court. And we just thought that she was about to teach us something. And of course, those of us that know her, uh, she did teach us something, but she gossiped. She (laughs) talked girl talk. We felt like we were, uh, you know, that she was no longer like on this, this pedestal as the great bell hooks, but she became like one of us girls. It was just, you know, four or five black women talking as black women do. Um, and that moved me, that accessibility to someone, uh, like that. She and I never talked about that, you know, all those decades later when we became, um, became friends. Um, but that really, all of that inspired me. And the thing that also inspired me was that, of course, she was, uh, an intellect and, uh, cultural critic and, those other things, but she was also an artist. You know, the way that she talked about writing and making time for writing. I mean, the woman wrote 40 books, um, just lit a fire in me. Um, And I thought, well, I was a little black girl growing up in rural Kentucky too. So maybe I can do this. She must've been very proud of you when uh, you were named Poet Laureate of Kentucky. I think so. We didn't talk about it, but I, I think oh, that she, I think that she probably, probably was. She probably had something cheeky to say too, because that's <laughs> Belle, but I think she was proud of me. Crystal, she was proud of you. We talked about you. <laughs> oh, she had to be. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about the circumstances that brought her to Berea and Linda, Chad I'll, I'll, and Crystal. You, you all can just uh, can jump in here. Uh, I'll start with you, Chad. I believe she came to Berea in 2004. She had taught at various uh, uh, institutions around the country. You know, she'd been to Stanford and, and uh, Yale City, uh, 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 University in New York. Uh, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. City College of New York. What 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 brought her to Berea, Chad? Well, Linda will help me here too because I had not yet been to Berea yet, but I know she was called home, mm-hmm. and um, she had been here, uh, as I understand it, uh, brought by then women's studies. Uh, director Peggy Ravage Sewell 
and then Dean of the Faculty, Stephanie Browner. And I, I, I think you had a very good visit here and that led to Stephanie Browner uh, talking with her about an appointment at the college and um, she immersed herself in this, in this community. She had uh, friends of all types here and um, you know, it was, she was sometimes happy of, with living in Berea and she was sometimes frustrated that um, she was living in Berea. And up to the very end, she, she was continuing to think about um, what she might do. Maybe she'd spend her winters, she hated winter, uh, in warmer climates, you know, like Florida or, or Arizona or something. Or maybe she'd uh, spend some time with a former student who was in Bloomington, Indiana. She was just always thinking about place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Chad, absolutely. Um, she came after that, that initial conversation and um, she wanted to come home. And she wanted, she said to me several times that she wanted people to know that genius came from Kentucky. Um, and when she came home, she decided, so both of her parents were also aging and, and both have since passed on. Um, she wanted to be close to home. She wanted to be close to family, but she wanted people to know that genius came from Kentucky and that bell hooks came from Kentucky. And so it was a very intentional choice to come. And she wanted to be at a place like Berea that had a history of, um, social justice and, and peace and, and such. And so um, Berea was the, was the perfect place for her uh, to, to, to make her last home. We had hoped obviously as people who love Belle that um, we'd have a lot more time with her. And I am struggling at this moment um, because I haven't talked a lot about yeah. it. Uh, uh, she was a, a dear, dear friend. That was Linda Strong-Leak of Haverford College, remembering her colleague and friend, Bell Hooks. We're spending this hour reflecting on Hooks' life and work with Strong-Leak and two other guests, Chad Berry of Berea College and Kentucky Poet Laureate Crystal Wilkinson. I'm Joni Franklin. We'll be right back. Rutledge bought teaching to transgress. They said, you know, our sales force doesn't, doesn't understand this word transgress. They don't know how they're going to sell this book. Uh, are you willing to come and talk to them? And, you know, naive, I was shocked. It was all white men. And when I went there, I had brought a letter from an older black woman. She said, normally I send this $10 tithe to my church, but I'm sending it to you because your book changed my way of thinking. Then I had the letter from the prisoner that said, I made your name a household word around this prison. <laughs> we, we argue, we disagree, and we read our bell hooks. And then I had a letter from a child. And I was saying to them, there's nothing to fear about the word transgress. It just means to push against the boundaries. And when I, I read those letters from just everyday people out in the world, not academic people, but people who were saying, this work matters to us. Yes, yes, and those of you who were with me and Laverne Cox last night, we had that amazing introduction to have that young woman stand there and say that she'd been a meth-using addict, that she had been down, 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 and she read bell hooks, and it was one of the forces that lifted her up. I mean, who could not be overflowing with joy? Absolutely. Because I am doing Absolutely. what the divine calls me to do. That was Bell Hooks in 2014 in a discussion with Dr. Cornell West, hosted by the New School for Liberal Arts. She was discussing the publication of her book, Teaching to Transgress, Education as the Practice of Freedom, published in 1994. Welcome back to a look at the legacy of Kentucky author and feminist Bell Hooks on 89.3 WFPL. I'm Joni Franklin. This hour, you're hearing from Crystal Wilkinson, who is Kentucky's Poet Laureate, and Associate Professor of English, Appalachian Studies, and African and Africana Studies at the University of Kentucky. Dr. Chad Berry, Vice President for Alumni Communications and Philanthropy at Berea College, where Bell Hooks taught. 
He's also a professor of Appalachian Studies and a professor of history. And Dr. Linda Strong-Leak, provost and professor of Africana Studies and Gender and Sexuality Studies at Haverford College in Pennsylvania. She's a former provost at Berea College and, of course, a friend of Bell Hooks. Here's WFPL's Rick Hallett with more. Crystal, I want to come back to you and uh, talk about uh, Bell's Kentucky history. She was born in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as uh, Gloria Jean Watkins, and she took the the pen name Bell Hooks. Uh, tell us, tell us about that. And and Chad and Linda, you can you can jump in here as well. But uh, Crystal, tell us about why she chose that name. Does she talk much about that? Well, she did, and and she wrote a lot about that. I mean, it's my understanding that she wanted to take on her, I believe it was her great-grandmother's um, name, and she wanted to take focus off of her, the author, um, Gloria Jean, the author, and put the focus on on the words themselves. Um, and that, that too was a way to, to transgress, you know, sort of following up on, on the clip. Like that decision, I think, was a way to sort of a, a call uh, to power in the writing. And uh, what Bell just testified to is kind of hard to to hear her voice, but at the same time reminds us all of the power. You know, there's this great intellectual power that can reach across boundaries, that can reach um, across socioeconomic concerns uh, and and reach across uh, class lines and uh, education educational background and and that was I think part of the power so she at the same time of course she sort of held court but she also wanted to to sort of stay in the shadows and I think that was part of that and let the work speak for itself um, it reminded me of uh, a time at the one of uh, another conference uh, I think it was in 2013 and a woman sit beside someone and she uh, asked, she said, oh, hi, my name is such and such. And um, Belle introduced herself and she said, well, I'm Gloria. <laughs> and uh, and the woman sat there and didn't know she was beside Bell Hooks. And then uh, we were talking about Adrian Rich at this conference and I was leading a conversation about Adrian Rich. And uh, Belle said, well, can I say something? And I said, of course. And I said, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the great bell hooks and the woman almost fainted. <laughs> but, you know, she didn't walk in and sort of command the room, which she she did. But she didn't do that in an intentional way because she wanted to hear what everyone else had to say. And then uh, to, of course, proceed to talk about it with her own uh, truth and her own power. So I think all of that is what was behind uh, the name bell hooks. Let's uh, let's take a call here. Michael is in Louisville. He's been uh, waiting on the line. Let's uh, let's see what's on his mind. Hello, Michael. Welcome to In Conversation. Well, thank you. You know, in spite of Bell Hooks's global legacy, why do you think she's uh, had such a a uh, little influence on local and, and uh, state and national black politics? And do you think her critique? of capitalism and patriarchy have something to do with this. Michael, thanks for your call. Chad, do you want to uh, take that one? Well, that's interesting. I I, um, I would say two things. One is Bell was first and foremost a critic. And sometimes those criticisms were very difficult. Um, I know Linda and I talked about them sometimes, uh, but also, they were almost always completely novel. You know, she in the in in being the critic that she was, she just sometimes my brain would explode as she was commenting on something. And um, you know, I think culture doesn't always take well to critics, um, certainly because uh, it's sometimes hard. But that was that was Bell's voice. That was Bell's intellect. Um, and and um, it was sometimes hard to shake. I will say for the last year or so, she was very dismayed at what I think she perceived to be the decline of feminist culture and feminist voices. Mm -hmm. uh, and she ended her life 
really lamenting that and wanting a, a real revival of feminist thought, feminist thinking, feminist action. Now, Lin Lin Linda, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I'd agree. And I, I would also say that Bill really didn't care what other people thought about her. It was one of her most, um, I think, um, both endearing and um, disarming uh, qualities. Um, she spoke her truth. She lived her truth. And what people chose to do with that was about them and not her. And so... Um, yeah, she was probably the most honest person I've ever met. And um, and sometimes, as Chad said, they were it was hard to hear some of some of what she she shared, but she was completely herself and completely unmoved for the most part by uh, critiques. Mm -hmm. Crystal, what what experiences uh, do you think shaped her to to, be to become this person and led her to think about these these weighty, serious topics, you know, and ideas and and speak frankly about them? Well, I think some of that, like, I mean, I think a lot of creative people and creative intellects um, carry things over from childhood. So I think that this sort of observation she had even as a girl, and she writes about it in uh, in Bone Black, like this this way of sort of stepping outside yourself and this way of stepping outside of even, even your family, like being on the edge a little bit and looking into something and making observations. So she looked, you know, to to her, her community there in Hopkinsville. She looked, you know, she had an aware awareness early as a child, what it meant to lose a freedom, like moving from a rural area more into town. Um, so that sort of ob deep observation uh, just continued to grow. Like I think as, as a young girl, um, as a, a young woman about to go to college. Um, and I think getting to the callers um, comment and question, I think that uh, it's it's hard. No one wants, everybody wants somebody to say yes. They want someone to be in agreement with them. Um, and so I think even on a personal level, when Bill talks to people, it was always her truth that came out. She didn't have any problems being critical, having these critical observations about systems, um, about politics. Um, you know, it could even be put on the personal level, institutions. Uh, and you would think that someone who was within an institution like a, an academic <laughs> setting or within, um, you know, those, those kinds of things that people don't want to hear anyone in, in that much disagreement and in an intellectual disagreement. Mm -hmm. And Alice is on the phone from Lexington. Alice, welcome to In Conversation. Hi. Uh, so my introduction to Bell Hooks was in my literary theory class in college and it was, A, just so incredibly cool to have uh, someone of that stature from Kentucky in my course. But, you know, I haven't done formal lit crit critique in a while, but you, I find that the oppositional gaze especially still really influences the way I engage with media. And I definitely try to keep it in mind to keep, you know, where my whiteness and my feminism intersect. Linda, let's let me come back to you and, and talk about Bell's. Uh, go back to Bell's arrival at Berea College. How how was her uh, reception with the students? How did she interact with the students? I imagine there there were some that were in awe of her, and uh, some that didn't, maybe they didn't know what to think. Uh, what was that relationship like? Yeah, definitely, some were in awe. And there's one particular student I'm thinking about, Paige, um, who continued, who actually came to see Bell in her final days. Um, she was one of one of Bell's early students uh, and became a helper for her after she graduated. Um, she loved the students. She loved uh, having being in conversation with them. Um, obviously, some of them didn't know who she was, didn't understand her stature. But uh, after reading her works, um, they understood who she was. And so um, it was a close relationship. Belle had a lot of students over the years who were very close to her, many who came um, in that last week of her life to, to say goodbye. Um, so yeah, she was a teacher and a mentor. And it wasn't just the students who didn't know what to do with Belle, <laughs> it was also the <laughs> past. 
<laughs> uh, and um, you know, because she was she was completely herself, um, and I think that that was one of the things that that we so loved about her. Um, there was no pretense with Bell Hooks, none, and um, and you knew exactly what she was thinking at all times because she was going to say it whether whether you wanted to hear it or not. Um, so the students and a, and a student like Paige in particular from West Virginia. Um, just really resonated with Bell as an intellectual and a scholar. Uh, and um, again, multiple other students who, whom I could name, but Paige is one who comes to me because she was there with us in the, in the final days. And, um, and Bell loved her and she loved her students. Chad, tell us about uh, the Bell Hooks uh, Institute, which I believe is, correct me if I'm wrong, is now called the Bell Hooks Center. What's going to be going on there going forward? So the Bell Hooks Institute at Berea College was Bell's creation in, I think, 2015. Uh, And she wanted to ensure that her legacy continued long after her death. And so she she made an agreement with the college. And the institute was all Bell's. Um, She has her artwork there. She has, she wanted to have some physical artifacts. She wanted people who were um, admirers and her readers to be able to have a physical place that they could come to. And uh, hence the Bell Hooks Institute was born and Bell would bring people, um, Emma Watson, Laverne Cox, Gloria Steinem, of course, as well as lesser known people who were doing great work that um, that resonated with Bell, and she would bring them uh, for small audiences at the Institute, and it was very powerful. That programming will resume shortly as a result of her um, estate plans and such to continue on the Institute. The Bell Hook Center at Berea was named and inaugurated with that new name in the fall, and I'm just so glad that that Bell knew about this. And um, I think she was quite honored. And the Bell Hook Center is different from the Institute insofar as it is the place of programming uh, that really works uh, to manifest and help realize Berea College's sixth great commitment around gender equality. And that commitment is to create a democratic community dedicated to education and gender equality. And so the Bell Hook Center is charged with that tremendous responsibility. So there's a Bell Hooks Institute and there's a Bell Hooks Center. And she must have had a, a great impact uh, on at the other institutions where she, uh, she taught, Linda, the, which were uh, uh, quite a number of those around the country before she came to Berea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oberlin, um, Rebecca Walker uh, was one of her students, and um, she happens to be Alice Walker's daughter. She did come to see Bell, another one of those students from years ago, um, as Bell had different programming at the Institute and such. Many of her former students would come and participate in the programming at the Institute. Um, so yes, she had a, a major effect. And I'll just share one story. Um, Bell and I went to the National Women's Studies Association um, meeting in Puerto Rico in, I think it was 2012. And um, Bell was the keynote speaker. It was her last large public, um, individual public event. And um, both on the way, so in the Atlanta airport, I watched as people um, sitting beside Bell and whispering, I think that's Bell Hooks, I think that's Bell Hooks. And after Bell did her talk that night, she, um, she agreed to sign books. And it was, it was honestly breathtaking watching people line up to tell Bell how much her work had changed their lives. I mean, person after person was just, was literally crying, saying, your book changed my life. Your book saved my life. I was on the verge of suicide and I read all about love and, I, and I'm and i alive because of your book. 
And I think, and because of your work, and, and I had by that time really gotten to know Bill just as a human being as, and a person, as a friend. And so it was one of those moments when you realize that you are in the presence of greatness uh, and that, um, that, that, that she was a cultural icon. And I don't think that that can be overstated. Um, Bill, Bill's work, and that was what was important to her. It was the work that she was doing changed people's lives, saved people's lives. Uh, and I, that work will continue to, to do that for generations to come as students read Bell Hooks forever. So I just wanted to note that, you know, that was a moment for me as her friend to step back and see the cultural icon that Bell Hooks had become. That was Linda Strongleak of Haverford College, along with Chad Berry from Berea College and Kentucky Poet Laureate Crystal Wilkinson. I'm Jonice Franklin. We'll be back with more on the life and work of Bell Hooks on WFPL. have a black young black woman student who braids my hair she comes over with her four-year-old four-year-old always has her white dolls and she speaks her deep hatred of things black I mean growing up in the segregated south in the apartheid there it, I had never heard any black person speak their deep hatred of things black but a four-year-old she was like well the little girls at school told me I can't be Cinderella because Cinderella ain't black and you know I tried to reason, I tried to bribe, I tried to cajole, but this little girl's internalized racism was deeply fixed, four years old. Four years old. And yet people don't want to see what, that we have a serious problem that begins with our children. That was the one and only Bell Hooks in 2014. I'm Jonice Franklin. We're taking this hour to remember her with some of the people who knew her best. Crystal Wilkinson is Kentucky's Poet Laureate and Associate Professor of English and African and Africana Studies at the University of Kentucky. Dr. Chad Berry is Professor of Appalachian Studies and a Professor of History at Berea College. And Dr. Linda Strong-Leak is Provost and Professor of Africana Studies and Gender and Sexuality Studies at Haverford College in Pennsylvania. Here's WFPL's Rick Hallett with more of our conversation. Crystal, I want to go back to the, the comment we heard from uh, Bell coming out of the break, uh, talking about the little girl uh, with the, the doll. Uh, a lot of people may, be, may not know that she wrote a number of children's books as well, right, and, and addressing this very thing that she was talking about with, with the little girl that came over. Yes, yes. Um, that's what I, what I meant by artist. Like, this was a... Belle was just a whole, like, you know, Linda just said icon, but just think about someone who can go from this really serious um, critical writing to writing about and for children. Um, a friend just sent me a photograph of her two-year-old son uh, reading B-Boy Buzz. Like he could, he could recognize the cover and he read those words and it was so, so moving to me. Um, so from children to you know, fellow scholars and intellects, um, creative writers. It, it wasn't published, but she had written a, a, a novel um, just to have all those, that large variety of, of work um, and meaningful work. Like she put a lot of thought into those children's books. She said that she didn't see enough um, boys didn't, the black boys didn't love themselves enough. And so she wrote B-Boy Buzz. Mm. Um, Young black girls didn't appreciate their hair. Their hair wasn't wasn't appreciated, and so she wrote, "What was the name of it? A happy happy to be nappy." Yes, mm -hmm. yes, Crystal. I I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was just going to share too that she was in B Boy Buzz. Um, she really wanted to little black boys to know that they could sit and be still and be quiet mm -hmm. and read a book. Right. I mean, so the images in the book are about Black boys sitting and reading. 
Let me ask you about, uh, Crystal, uh, her thoughts about the term of feminist. I want to read from something she wrote. This is from uh, Ain't I a Woman, Black Women and Feminism, published in 1981. She says, It's obvious that many women have appropriated feminism to serve their own ends, especially those white women who have been at the forefront of the movement. But rather than resigning myself to this appropriation, I choose to reappropriate the term feminism to focus on the fact that to be feminist in any authentic sense of the term is to want for all people, female and male, liberation from sexist role patterns, domination and oppression. Uh, what are your thoughts, Crystal, about her? Her Because uh, you hear that term feminist, that description feminist. But what, what did she think of that term? Well, I mean, she wrote about that a lot. I can I can talk about this more in my in my own terms. You know, when I as an example, um, and I think this is how her work and her ideology uh, cross boundaries, because I remember going um, to listen to her and, um, you know, I was working hard. I was a single parent, you know, came from rural Kentucky and I didn't really think of myself as a feminist until Bell broke it. She had a way of breaking down the terminology that was housed in academics and breaking it down to the real world. And I think her talk may have been called that, like feminist for the real world. And um, so it's something you couldn't, if, if people really listen, you know, people thinking of her as a, a, a radical person and she lived her, her, her life in the most radical way, taking full agency but not in a radical way that people, a lot of people thought of, think about feminists as being negative, but that idea that feminism is for everyone is where that, that, that line that you just, mm-hmm. that sentence that you just, just read, that's where that comes from. And Linda could probably speak to this. Yeah. We, we also spent a lot of time talking about it. And as Chad said, she was, um, unhappy, I think, um, sad um, at near the end of her life about where she felt feminism had gone. Um, she really wanted, she saw it as a way to empower everybody, right? I mean, so that's where the feminism is for everybody comes from. Um, and that it really was about just ending sexist oppression, right? <laughs> it, it, you know, there was a basic thing about feminism and she wanted people to be able to embrace their complete selves as she did right so whatever that person was whomever that person was they should be free to live their life in their own truth in their own reality not bounded by gender roles uh, uh, particularly Uh, and so um she she did not see always uh, sort of contemporary feminism as a reflection of what she saw as sort of this deep um, this deep space for not just personal reflection but a a way to live one's authentic life and to be one's authentic self. Um, she felt like it had been appropriated. You know, power feminism she was really uh, critical of that sort of uh, kind of feminism. So so it really wasn't about power. It was supposed to be about freedom. Uh, Chad, what, uh, and I'll ask everybody this, but what, what uh, the same question I, I posed to the, the caller, Laverne, what, what Bell Hooks books or other works are your favorites? Ones that really, you know, hit you in, hit you in the sternum. And then you can talk about more than one, but what's, what's at the top of the list for you, Chad? Well, I remember coming to Berea, uh, knowing about Bell, couldn't believe that Bell was at Berea College. And I remember kind of thinking uh, early in the aughts, why is Bell, Bell Hooks um, going off on, on love? What is this great uh, feminist theorist, cultural critic, uh, one, of the, one of the country's foremost public intellectuals? Why is she writing about love? Um, I had not yet read All About Love and I decided to read it. And that was the book, probably with Bone Black, but it was all about love. And I realized the older I get, the more time I spent with Belle. I used to see her every Friday when I was in town. Um, The more I spent, the more I've spent time at Maria College with its mission of impartial love, I realized how prescient she was and, will always be so. But for me, it was about love. We used to go when she was able, she used to love to go out to the artisan center and we would 
we would go there for lunch. And she had this ability to take, to find um, the biggest, burliest white man um, <laughs> and nuzzle up to him, put her arm around him, um, talk to him in the Kentucky vernacular and, and probably a tourist, you know, just driving down I-75. <laughs> And she was completely disarming in her love toward that person. And I just found it mo the most endearing kind of moment. And she did it at, without fail. Every time we went to the Artisan Center or anywhere else for that matter for lunch, she just, um, she just ended her life believing so deeply that it really was all about love. Mm -hmm. How did she, uh, Crystal, and I'm not sure where she was in her, with her health at this time, but how did she respond to, to the racial justice protest of 2020 and, you know, and the, the events that precipitated them? Did she write about those at all? You know, we just, well, we did talk about it actually just, just briefly um, uh, in the same ways that, that many of my sort of critical thinking friends were thinking about it. It's just um, the sort of the cyclic nature of what we're, what we're doing, that we already stepped over this ground and here we are again. That was Crystal Wilkinson remembering her colleague and friend, Bell Hooks. Wilkinson is continuing Bell Hooks' legacy in her own work as Kentucky's Poet Laureate. Hooks was known as a natural mentor and teacher who nurtured other writers at all stages of their development. Wilkinson is developing a podcast called Words for the People that will do the same. Every episode will feature an established writer and an emerging writer, both from Kentucky. I asked her to tell me more about how the show came about and what she hopes it will accomplish. Well, I think it came about because simply uh, because of this new world we live in, right? Uh, since uh, coronavirus um, hit. So I think because I realized early on that, that my tenure as Poet Laureate was gonna be so much different. I wasn't gonna be able to do the sort of traditional, get in my car and go to every library or, or college across the state. Um, and I started thinking about how, how could I reach more people? And so the, the second they called me and said that, um, that, that I was named Poet Laureate, would I accept? And I said, yes. I immediately started thinking about, could I do a podcast? I was already sort of brewing. You know, it's taken a long time, but it's blossomed into fruition. And I'm so excited about it that I get to do it in my second year as Poet Laureate. Well, tell us what we can expect from the podcast. Well, so the idea is to get as many... Kentucky writers on the podcast as possible. So those writers who um, have been published in some way and emerging writers. And I think the idea of the emerging writers um, that we have is really interesting because it's not just emerging like you would think of as um, high school students or even middle, middle school students. It's not just young people. So I, along with the emerging, I wanted to get in touch with some of our elders um, too across the state. So I'm really excited about this mix of um, skill levels and experience and um, the diversity in the population um, of the writers across the state and, and getting them out to the people, just like it says, you know, words for the people. I'm, I'm excited about that part and hope that people who are seasoned writers will be able to, you know, find it interesting because there's this, this thing, you know, one of the things that I hope is that it's entertaining to anyone who just wants to listen and know more about writers. And if you want to become a writer, I hope that there's sort of an, an educational uh, thread to that too. But mainly I think it's an awareness because we always think about writers, as particularly published writers, as being somewhere else other than Kentucky, even though we have a lot of published writers here, but we think of New York or we think of LA and we have such a rich community of writers right here in the state. Why is it important to you for established writers to mentor 
you know, emerging writers? Well, and, and the word mentor is, you know, I think about that on a spectrum, right? So there's there's the sort of traditional mentoring, like what I do in my other job as a professor. There's that sort of traditional, um, you know, mentor, mentee relationship, a professor and a student or a teacher and a student. But I think there's other ways um, to mentor too, just uh, people who are starting to write, no matter what their age, uh, being able to see what people are, how people are doing it, that, that have done it for a long time. So uh, whether it's the writing itself or how a poem or a story um, is read, ideas about publishing, you know, publishing with a large press versus self-publishing and, you know, saying your work out loud, which is to make public. You know, that's one of the first thing is to to share your work in some way. So I hope that we'll be able to, I think people will get uh, a lot out of that and will be mentored in some way, maybe not in all the traditional ways, but I'm looking at non-traditional avenues as well. What do you hope um, people who listen to the podcast, what do you, what do you hope they come away with? Well, I think people will be drawn in by some of the sheer star power of the Kentucky writers that we'll have on. But I think, I hope that they'll be surprised as well. Cause I, I want to get, um, like I said, a, a mixture of, of youth on and um, some people who are in these senior citizens uh, places that are writing about their home life. So you've got these, um, this slice of, of the Kentucky pie, like several slices all the way across. So I hope that people will be interested in all the spectrums that we'll bring. And maybe they'll be lured in by the known writers uh, and stay for some of the, the other interesting things that we'll be doing. What's, you talked about you know, sharing your work out loud. What, what's the power in sharing your own story? What does that do for a person? I think giving voice. You know, for example, I keep talking about the, the, the elders and, you know, you take someone who's 80 years old who has a particular lived experience and they hold that lived experience within them. And if they are starting to write their stories down, whether they're to be published uh, or they're coming a, a poetry form or they're writing stories about their lives, actually coming on the podcast and reading that piece out loud, you know, makes it public and makes it not only their story, but those of us who are listening will hear something that we, we don't know uh, passed on to us as well, which is, you know, Kentucky has a big tradition of the or, oral storytelling. And I think just coming on and reading some of that work and hearing some of those stories um, is also keeping in, in with that tradition. That was Kentucky Poet Laureate Crystal Wilkinson. Her podcast, Words for the People, is coming April 24th from Louisville Public Media, and we thank her for being with us. It's something you hear over and over when Black women talk about bell hooks. She showed me I could tell my own story. Kentucky writer and activist LaTanya Jones sent us this message echoing that sentiment. My name is LaTanya Jones. And I live in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm originally from Paducah, Kentucky, which is about an hour away from Hopkinsville, Kentucky, the birthplace of Bell Hooks. I grew up an hour away from the same town that Bell Hooks lived her childhood in, and I didn't even know it until I got older, until I was in my 20s, late 20s. I read her book, Bone Black. And I found myself in those pages. I had not read about little girls like me who lived out in the country and played in the dirt. It was always about the kids that lived in the city. It was never about us little country black girls. And so Bell Hooks brought me to life in her words. And then when I was older through my work, as an activist, an advocate, educator. I had the opportunity to meet her. I spent a whole day with her, just the two of us. She invited me to her home. 
She gave me a piece of pottery. She gave me wisdom for how to live a life. And most importantly, through bell hooks in person, through her work, she has given me courage to write what needs to be said. She's given me courage to tell my own truth. And I think we need that example as black women, as little country black girls, and to know that that voice still rings even after her passing and it does so worldwide is the most inspiring thing I can think of. I'm so grateful to know that Bell Hooks was a little black girl from Western Kentucky who used her life to change the world. And it gives me hope that I might be able to do the same. I am ever grateful to Bell Hooks. What a tremendous gift. And the weight of her loss is heavy. But I also know she lived her life in a way that other people could find a way to do the same thing. She's still teaching us how to love. And we need those kinds of teachers. That was LaTanya Jones, a writer, activist, and victims' rights advocate from Paducah, Kentucky. We also heard this hour from Dr. Chad Berry, Vice President for Alumni, Communications, and Philanthropy at Berea College. He's also on the faculty as Professor of Appalachian Studies and Professor of History. Dr. Linda Strong-Leak, Professor of Africana Studies and Gender and Sexuality Studies at Haverford College in Pennsylvania. She's former provost and professor at Berea College. And Kentucky Poet Laureate Crystal Wilkinson. She's the award-winning author of Perfect Black, a collection of poems, and three works of fiction, The Birds of Opulence, Water Street, and Blackberries, Blackberries. The panel discussion you heard earlier this hour was originally an episode of In Conversation from WFPL, produced by Michelle Tyreen Johnson and hosted by Rick Hallett. We had assistance from Russell Wells and Charles Spivey. This special was produced by Laura Ellis and me, Joni Franklin. You can hear it again and share it at wfpl.org slash bellhooks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>